Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Uh, this is Tom, as usual, and for those who don't know, Show and Tell is our show where we bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they're working on. And today's cool guest is none other than RPG and streaming icon, Tanya DePass. And the cool thing that we're going to be talking about is the Into the Motherland Kickstarter. So, welcome, Tanya. Hello, how are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. So the sun is out. It's not extremely hot right now, so I'm looking forward to getting outside later. So doing pretty good. Uh, I guess really, before we get rolling and talking about this this Kickstarter that is absolutely exploding right now, uh, let's get to know Tanya. So Tanya, for somebody who may not know you, uh, who's Tanya to pass? Oh God. Um, I know, right? <laughs> that, that it's always like, oh, I have to talk about myself. No, such uh, a loaded question. I know. Um, so I'm Tanya. I I do a lot of things. If you've seen me be mad about video games on the internet and I need diverse games, that was me literally just being mad about video games at 6 a.m. in the morning in October 2014. <laughs> um, and from there, I've got to do a lot of DNI work, diversity inclusion, and you know, created not for profit I need diverse games. I had my own podcast for a while of Fresh Out of Tokens. Was on a different podcast for a couple years. And then started doing a lot more public speaking, a lot more diversity work in, uh, oh god, well, what year is it? 2017, 2018? Uh, Greg Tito over at Wizards of the Coast invited me to come on Dragon Talk and, you know, kind of revisit D&D because I hadn't played in a long time. I had not even touched 5th edition. And, um, you know, after being on Dragon Talk and coming back to D&D and kind of casually dipping my toes in the RPG waters again, uh, he reached out again and was like, hey, I'm putting a show together. Would you be interested? And do you know some people? And out of that, Rivals of Waterdeep happened. And we premiered at Stream Many Eyes June 2018. And from there, it's just been kind of a snowball of, you know, doing a lot more RPG stuff. And then, you know, fast forward to 2020, working with Twitch, trying to pitch some ideas. And they were like, you know, instead of just rehashing fantasy, because there's so much fantasy out there already, why don't you do your own thing? And I was like, uh, sure. Because they liked the idea of a sci-fi show, but they wanted to make sure we weren't, like, getting any murky IP waters. And so I was like, okay, sure, I'll try to tell my own story. And we pitched Motherlands. And they were like, okay, here's your budget, here's your timeline. (laughs) And in uh, October, was it October? October 2020, Motherlands RPG premiered on my channel. And now we are past the halfway point of our second season and the kickstarter is doing far better than i expected there's that's that's awesome there's so much stuff there i think it's the one of the things i think it's hilarious that you just decided you know what, we're just gonna make our own ip so let's just do it i mean the money was there because they were like we here's how we can support you and i was like i mean for most people, the money to get started is always the barrier because people always go, just make your own. <laughs> and I'm like, um, you do know that it takes money to make your own, right? That's right. So I need you all to understand this, that uh, you all you all need to not real, not just go tell people make your own, but do you have money to go with that? Yeah. Now, I, I definitely I want to dig into that more, but I also want to ask you because I remember that episode of Dragon Talk. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I really? remember that. 
Yeah, I do. So I think that was the first time I had ever heard of you and heard you talk, and then I uh, just started following what you were doing. But I have to, I, so I have to ask them. So you said that you used to play mm-hmm. RPGs, then you kind of got out of it for a little bit, and then you came into fifth edition. So where did you start then with RPGs? Was it with Dungeons and Dragons? Mm-hmm. What edition was it? Oh, first edition. I am, I am old. I am satanic okay. panic years old. Um, and you know, I played through. I was actually in a very long running three five campaign where our characters got up to like twenty first, twenty second level. And then it just kind of, yeah, we, we, we maxed out. We went from one to 20, 21, 22. Um, and then, you know, I just, I wasn't at that job anymore. So the friends that I was playing with, it was like a cross city trek, even more than usual to go play. And I just kind of fell out. I never really get gotten a fourth edition, never got too much into Pathfinder. Or if there was a official fourth edition, I don't actually know. Um, Because I know that the discourse TM will start with that when they hear this. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I've always had a a bigger imagination than I had space for. And, you know, RPGs let you do that because video game RPGs are great, but you are confined within the sandbox the developers give you. There's only so much I can do no matter what choices I make. But with tabletop, pen and paper, whatever you decide to do, that's what you do. And that's your your only limit is your imagination. They're super cool. I mean, otherwise we would not be talking about them right now. We like them. So I guess, so speaking of, so tabletop RPGs then. All right. So we have to know about Into the Motherlands. All right. Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the elevator? We know it's a stream, but what's the elevator pitch here for the game then? The elevator pitch would be a new Afrofuturist sci-fi RPG that um, is not, I don't want to say tainted, but that's probably the best word. Uh, tainted with the history of colonialism and slavery mm-hmm. and um, a new take on historical figures. Okay. No, I mean, that's it's totally valid point. So I have to ask you then. So for somebody who doesn't know, what is Afrofuturism then? Uh, the way I always define it is a future where we actually get to exist. Because too many times you get futuristic stories, you get cyberpunk stories, Despite Mike Posman starting the genre in the RPG side, um, we don't often get to exist. You don't see anyone who's who's black or brown. We're always that kind of racially ambiguous brown. And, yeah. you know, for us, we get to create those worlds. We get to be in those worlds. And, you know, there is a future and, you know, black people get to be in it. Yeah, you're the you're the main character. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, it's one of those things, too, which is I'm super, I mean, there's all sorts of cool games coming out right now by Black, um, Latinx, and Asian creators right now. And it's been awesome to see it because you do get this, you get a different perspective. I mean, you think about, like, Coyote and Crow, and then one of my favorite games right now is Nibiru, which was done by Federico Sons. So it's, I think we're seeing, I, I want to get your take on that. Are we seeing, then, a, 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 a almost like, a, not a resurgence, but a... Is this like a new era where we're going to see more of these games? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as more and more people see games like Coyote and Crow, they see things like Motherlands, um, not just get out there, but they also thrive. And people seem to be thirsty for, I want to get out of medieval fantasy Europe. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) It's like, there's so much more in the world. Um, we're going to definitely see it and as more people are empowered either through funding, crowdfunding, Kickstarter, or, you know, investors, or just people who are like, I want to get out of the old dusty castle. Um, 
we're going to definitely see more of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's super cool. And I wanted to ask you that because one of the things that you kind of talked about is supporting other creators. You are one of the things that I associate you with is kind of like su supporting all sorts of other creators. I, I see you promoting them and it's it's super cool then. But you so, but you've assembled a team then for Into the Motherlands. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about who's in, who's involved, who's making the game? Uh, what's that look like? Um, so I had, when I started pitching thing, ideas to Twitch, I'd already reached out to a group of people and said, Hey, here's what I'm doing. What's your availability? Would you be interested? And then once, um, the pitch narrowed down to what became the motherlands, I was like, okay, here's the deal. This is what we're doing. Here's the timeline. What is it that you feel is your strength? Would you want to be on screen talent as part of the, the stream? Would you want to be involved in creating the worlds? And so I'd reached out to a bunch of people and then it came down to, um, uh, B. Dave Walters is our lead developer, who is also, you know, freely. He's the Baron on L.A. by Night and, uh, you know, our DM for Black Dice Society. And when B. Dave and I are mentally in sync, it's a little frightening because we sat down and just kind of hammered stuff out. But we sat down, got that together. And it's like, OK, well, here's the people said that they want to to be part of this in terms of writing. So Eugenio Vargas, who's also our storyteller on the show. Uh, Jasmine Bular, who, you know, has her own great show in, in Shakar and, um, you know, has, has done a lot with other shows, has been a guest on Critical Role. Um, Gabe, Gabe Hicks, I, I always want to use his Twitter name instead of his actual name. Uh, but, you know, Gabe works for World 20. He's a great designer, great cosplayer. And he's just like so full of amazing ideas. Gabe is like an Gabe is like an RPG protagonist. Like, yeah, I fo I follow him on Twitter. He just he's got this energy to him that's is he's he's so positive and he's just so cool. So, yeah, I mean, I adore Gabe. He's just he is an anime protagonist. <laughs> yes, and I adore him. Um, and wow, I just almost blanked out. And um, you know, we had a couple other people contribute that are not gonna move on to the book. Um, and I just blanked out because I feel like I'm forgetting someone and I, I feel terrible. I mean, and I'm, I'm writing too. Um, and yeah. then we, we've reached out to some people until contracts are signed and, and we get a definite yes, no, but we are bringing on additional people because writing for the show and having enough to go on for the show is one thing. Having enough to put a book in people's hands is a whole other venture. So we are bringing on some additional writers so that no one person is saddled with like 40, 50,000 words by themselves. And, oh, yeah. um, and then um, Aaron Radney, who is going to be our cartographer, he is going to make some maps for us. And yeah, and um, Vanessa B. Pleasantly Twisted on, on Twitter and Twitch is our lead artist. You know, our, on the show, she does our character art, the pins, and Dice Palace are going to be based off her art. Uh, Will Wiggins did the cover of what will be the Quick Start Guide. And, um, you know, we're just kind of bringing more and more black and POC talent because if if one thing I can do is useful is bring other people along. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great to have a good team. I mean, it's, 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 this. I mean, every time I look at the Kickstarter, it's got more money. So it's like it's just going blown up. I know you guys are adding more content with stretch goals and everything. So you, I'm, your team is I'm sure it's got to be it's expansive and it's great. But I have to ask then. So I knew. Of I knew of B. Dave Walters. It's funny because I remember the the Descent live stream 
stuff that happened mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Yeah, it was funny. I saw him on there, and I knew him because of comics. All right, yep. I love comics, and so I've read some of his comics. I'm like, he does D and D stuff. Mm-hmm. So I knew he was writing some D and D comics, but it was just it was that, that was cool. So I got to ask that: How did you and how did you and Dave like? What inspired you to create? motherlands then because it sounded like you guys did this together then oh we did so dave and i got on a zoom call and we're like okay what you know we we knew i mean we knew immediately that we wanted to have no colonialism no slavery Mm -hmm. how do we do this and i initially had the idea of modern day black people have had enough and they're like deuces i'm out and uh and he's like well modern day black people have already lived through colonialism slavery and the effects of it so how far back do we have to go to get to people who have not yet endured this? And he's like, what about Mansa Musa? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause I'm spoiler. I'm the worst history student ever. Okay. It was my, one of my worst topics in, in school. And so I'm Googling who this guy is while he's telling me. And he's like, well, you know, he was a Mali emperor and he was one of the, he's the richest man in history. And as much as I hate this phrase historically accurately, um, he actually did send an expedition out that never made it, as far as we know. And that's the historical answer to it. But we said, what if they landed on this planet that we've created instead? So they've now diverged from the timeline. They're on this planet. And these are now Black people and descendants of them and descendants of Mansa Musa who've never dealt with slavery and colonialism. Because when he was emperor, it was before the mid-Atlantic slave trade. Okay. So... You know, not to say that what we, what some, what I shouldn't say some, what is considered slavery wasn't happening, but the mid-Atlantic slave trade that brought most black people to the U.S. or what became the U.S. was not a thing when he was alive. So you've got all these people that are descended from him two to three thousand years after they wind up on this planet. And, you know, they've now integrated into society and everything else. He's like, so it's sci-fi, it's hopeful we're not like, oh, because he was like, you know, we both grew up with Star Wars, Star Trek, all this other stuff. And he's like, you know, it's it's not the grim dark of kind of Star Wars yeah. where the Empire has won and you've got to get everything back. It's more of a more of the hopefulness and ex- exploration of Star Trek, but with a dash of legally distinct for all of these properties, uh, legally distinct Wakanda, because Wakanda and the Black Panther movies are one of the first times we got to see a black society flourish that was away from the world and away from all the things that have touched modern day black society. You know, all of the technological advances that Wakanda has and, you know, all of those things were influences on all of us. And so he's like, well, this is where they are. And then we sat down and kind of figured out, okay, well now we've got this planet. We've got how they got there. What are the cultures? Because we want to get away from the class and race distinction of D&D. Very much so. Because D&D and many other RPGs do the, if you are this class, you can only do this job. This is all you can ever do. And if you're this race, you can only ever be strong or smart or whatever. We wanted to get away from that and say, if you're from, no matter what culture you're from, you can do any job, aka your profession. So it didn't pigeon, it won't pigeonhole players into I'm picking a Solansi, therefore I can only be like a Lightbringer or something. Or if I pick a Hyenal, which is our hyenid race, then I can only ever be like a scholar or someone who's a scientist. You can be whatever you want. Gotcha. I mean, definitely just obviously you're avoiding just years of 
problematic design, but also it's kind of given people more options. Mm-hmm. So then I guess, so just a question about the universe here. So I'm a huge fan. Like one of the tropes that I love is like lost expeditions. Like that is just, I just like that a whole lot. So I have to ask you then, obviously you have this, this separate planet, uh, galaxy, whatever it is, is this like, is earth then completely, have you all completely removed that from the, from the game? Then we're really just focusing on these new, these new planets, new ecosystems, new cultures then. Well, earth exists. It's not like, Oh, earth never existed. I mean, cause that's where they came from initially. But Earth is, like, not a place that anyone yet has an interest in, and maybe they haven't, on their end, like, we we have not actually sat down and done the calculations of how far away light-year-wise okay. Earth yeah. is. <laughs> but Earth does exist, and we're, what we need to figure out, too, is if humans from the Earth, that would be maybe another 2,000 years from where we are now, find Vitoa, especially if they are black and poc humans who who like us in the modern day have this baggage how do they interact with people that have never known literally the shackles of slavery and have grown up just in more of a equal society Um, but earth does exist we haven't quite figured out if there will ever be a oh we found the strange planet what is it or if earthlings will ever make it to Vitoa. we haven't got that far but again that could be something people make up as an adventure on their own yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I don't think everything when you when it comes to creating a RPG world, you don't need to give everybody you don't need to give players all the answers. Yeah, and everything. Let them come up with stuff. So, how did you come up with the idea then, uh, going back then, to do a stream to introduce the game? Uh, and then was it always the plan then to launch this into an actual RPG that people could play? Um, it was always a plan because I knew once we started the, the stream, because the idea the idea was the stream first. Okay. And then once we kind of did our world building, started all the pieces started falling into place, I knew that I wanted to put a book in people's hands. Um, especially after starting seeing the response to the game, we're getting like real-time fan art, and people are super excited for it, and they're like, you know, talking about is it Wednesday or is it Sunday before each episode. And I mean, I knew before we even done with the first season that we want to put a book out and we'd been talking about Kickstarter kind of concurrently with, uh, with the stream because, you know, I don't have that kind of money in my pocket. If I did, I wouldn't have had to go to Twitch for funding. Um, but we said, okay, we sat down. What is it that we want to do? How do we want to, um, make this happen? And it's like, because I'm not always the biggest fan of crowdfunding because it's it's so hit or miss. You know, you could have a lightning in a bottle moment like we're having now, or you could get to day 29 in the 11th hour and barely make it across the finish line. Um, but I knew early and we knew early that, yes, we want to put a book out in people's hands. So I wanted to ask you then about, uh, so that's, we can watch the stream and we can view the, the experience there that you all are having, but what sort of experience do you want people to have with y- your game at the table? Like everybody sits down to play a game of Into the Motherlands. What does that look like for players in the Game Master then? I know it's a super broad question, but. <laughs> um, ooh. So for players, I mean, they should be ready to kind of run around in a brand new to them, alien worlds. Um, you know, they could play, they could play Musalian, which is what we named the descendants of Mansa Musa, aka humans. 
Um, or they could get out their comfort zone and play a high null. They could play a human plant hybrid like a Slancy. And apparently people are very excited to be spine rippers. <laughs> um, I made a note about that actually. I did it. It's, it's, so it's, it, so it, wasn't, it wasn't in the outline that I sent you. So I'm reading through this. I'm reading through this stuff and I see something called Spine Ripper. Mm-hmm. And at first off, just the name, I was like, okay, well, this is cool. And then the concept of being able to use anything as a weapon. So why is that why why do why do people want to use spine rippers? Then? I think people just I, they may want to play out like their their Mortal Kombat being scorpion <laughs> fantasies. I don't know, but that's where my brain goes when I see spine ripper because I don't know if you remember if you ever got to play Mortal Kombat in the arcades and like the moral oh, panic yeah. over the oh my god we're ripping out spines and and all this blood and it's so violent and I'm like it's a video game first off. Um, but I feel like literally there's such great opportunity because I've done this with Celise on Rivals on occasion of like, what if you rip someone's arm off and you like have a moment of, ha ha, I'm armed. I don't know. I'm super silly. Um, but I just feel like the ability to make anything in your environment into a weapon is like, it's really cool. And it, it opens the door for some really dope RP moments, but also really silly video game-esque moments with, with the right people. Yeah. Um, but also, I and this is going to sound weird slash maybe bad. I don't know, but I don't feel like every class needs to be the super pacifist. Or I'm a healer. This is what I do. I I care about the planet, and this is what I do, and I heal things. No, you sometimes just need a really violent profession. You need somebody on occasion to go out and be the shock troopers and beat people. Yep. And again, I'm not advocating like going out and randomly beating people if you're listening to this. But I mean, on occasion, you need those front wave shock trooper hard fighters that can go out and protect the protect the people. Yeah, I know that there's there's all sorts of different character tropes that people like to play at the table, whether it's the the charismatic person or the really intelligent kind of wizard bookish person. But I think. I like a lot of other people. I like to play really cool characters, like so so cool that it kind of uh, my 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 players kind of joke about that. I, I play so cool that they it annoys them because I have the capes and the blades and everything. So, but your all's your all's professions, so many of them. It's not just the spine ripper that sounds awesome. You have something called you've got like blade keeper, yep. and then also ten twos, which is just like it's just a, I I'm a sucker for good names, and all of yeah. these are just awesome names so uh yeah so tens and two so like on the tens and twos is a that is definitely a b-dave thing and blade keeper i was like i want something that sounds really cool but no because what we didn't want and i mean people still do it um we wanted to get away we wanted to have stuff as far away from people reading this as a black version of D, but with science yeah and i'm just like blade keeper how much more can you get away from anything else? Because I didn't want someone to read it and go, oh, this is basically a paladin. Um, and so I was like, but keeping the blade is a sacred thing for someone in that profession. And it's very important to them. It's like, it's almost like, there's no good way to, to do the comparison. But almost like, you know, when, when a samurai receives their katana or knights receive their blade. So that kind of mentality of the blade is sacred and it's my weapon, it's my duty. To not just keep the blade safe, but to keep the people I care about and my and my community safe with this weapon. 
yeah, those are, I, I I really dig those kind of tropes. It's just super super cool. It leads to cool character moments. But just so people have an idea of like the different characters that you can play in Into the Motherlands, can you tell us? This is the age old question. Can you tell us about your character that you play in the stream? Uh, so I am a high elf blade keeper, and what's funny is that we intentionally made the high elf. We we flipped the idea of hyenas being savage and brutes and and just like brainless savage monsters and they're the smart ones they're you know they're the legally distinct vulcan types if if we have to attach it to anything and you know they're the scientists they're the ones who kind of came up with a lot of the tech that's used currently but my character she's smart she's book smart she's got many degrees but she likes to fight she likes her weapons she saw the blade keepers as a kid and that's what she wanted to do. So it's like she's turned we turned one trope on its head with the actual culture and then I kind of flipped it almost backwards with the way I play my character cuz she is like I can do both. Why do I have to pick one or the other? Um and so it's it's been interesting, it's been fun. She's always been the muscle, but now with Abria Iyengar's character who also picked a high and all but an engineer, so she's she's the stereotypical, I guess, high and all, where yeah. she's super smart, she's, you know, she can't, she has a hard time understanding why this other high and all wants to fight, and she's not sitting somewhere with a book and building things, and why is it you don't appreciate my mechanical genius? So they've had a few intracultural clashes already. Uh, that's, that's cool, like, that you think about, it, like, two characters from the same culture kind of makes kind of makes sense mm-hmm. so that kind of so that kind of leads me to my next question then is you kind of you've already really talked about the whole idea of culture here but one of the things that you highlight in the kickstarter is that uh one of the themes that you have is the interactions between cultures mm-hmm. we obviously have the Mussolini's who are the, the humans but then we have all these aliens so why did you want to explore this theme of culture because a lot of games a lot of rpg games basically they're like Here's who you are. Here's where you came from. There, and here's your very limited box. What we want to do is give people more of an idea of a vibrant world, and a place where your character could be from anywhere on that planet. It's not like, oh, well, if you say my character's brown, then they can only be from this one culture or this one race. If if that's what we we're doing, we want to give people as wide of a sandbox as they could, and we also want to give people. An idea of, I can go explore, even if I'm a high and old, there's nothing saying I can't go visit my friend that is a Solansi. And just giving people such a wide open, almost open world here, the world is literally your playground. You don't have to restrict yourself, and you can mix and match your culture and profession however you want. Because, I mean, for those of us that, you know, play D&D or, or whatever, so many times if you say, well, I'm a human... Oh, well, if I'm a human, then I am naturally weaker than, say, an orc or a dragonborn or what have you. We wanted to blur all those lines and get rid of some of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a gives you more gives you more options. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's super cool. So, when it came to creating the Into the Motherlands universe, I mean, you you have all these different cultures, planets, all this kind of stuff. So, for you, what I this is another. Um, kind of loaded question or did you have something that you created that you were like this is amazing i'm super proud of this is or is it just super fun to make 
I mean, all this is super fun to make, and, and my very selfish reason, my very selfish answer, is um, we all can have a, basically it's called an asset, like a a one thing that is unique to us. And I created this this blade, and I called it Aventura, and I, I joked that it's legally distinct vibranium. Okay, <laughs> um, but it, but it's like very special to Invicta. It's you know it's it's as close to being a a holy symbol for her as she she's ever gonna get, and so this blade is hers. It's hers alone, and um, just kind of giving it that backstory feel and why it's important to her, and then getting to use it in the show has been really cool. Um. You know, and then just like the cool things everyone has kind of done, like how Christina has made it so Silent 919, her braids are a weapon, her hair is a weapon. And turning the trope of black woman's hair being weaponized on his head. That's wild. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sick. So yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a such a, I'm a huge fan. Of, I, I love cool weapons. I love cool items. Like that's one of the things that I really get out of RPGs. I like getting cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. So can let's now let's let's do it. Let's talk about the Kickstarter then. We've been alluding to it. Can you tell us then what's the what's the goal of the Kickstarter? And can you talk about the pledge levels a little bit? Um, so the goal of the Kickstarter is at the end of the day, at the end of the Kickstarter, when we're done writing everything, um, is for people to have a book that they can sit down and play Motherlands with. They can, you know, create their own adventures, they can have sample adventures. They can learn about all the cultures we created, all the professions we created, and they can go out and just run around on this planet or come up with their own planets, you know, make up a planet maybe adjacent to Vitoa or something. What we want is to give people the keys to the sandbox we've had the privilege of playing in and creating all this time. And uh, the pledge levels are anything from, I just want to support, maybe I don't need yet another RPG book on my shelf. Yeah. To give me literally everything, um, B. Dave created a tier. Once we um, had worked a, worked something out with, uh, oh my god, I forgot the name of the mini people. Uh, they're also doing the minis for uh, Cyberpunk and and other folks. Are they? Is it Monster Fight Club? Yes, thank you. Um, and then, yes, because people keep asking me, we'll have a retailer tier. We just got to figure that part out. That That's where I'm like, Dave, you're the marketing man. Please, please go fix this. Um, but yeah, all the tiers are basically anywhere from a plain digital to give me literally everything. And um, you'll dice too. Yeah. So there'll be a add on for dice. So there'll be a, you know, pending final uh, mechanic system. Uh, working with Die Hard Dice, who also created the Musalian Skies Dice that you can go buy, buy now. But there'll be um, character dice based on our, our show characters. And you can add those on. And, um, you know, custom character sheets. There'll be maps that, again, Aaron Redney is working on. And then as we've kind of blown through all our stretch goals, there's going to be a Bertrand plushie. Everyone loves Bertrand, our favorite Hathorian uh, engineer. And uh, B. Dave is going to write an extra adventure for everyone. So you'll have a, here is your Motherlands 101 intro to the world adventure by B. Dave Walters. Um, and then other things are just add on. So if you don't want everything, you don't have to get everything. And uh, obviously we'll be doing a, a add on st- or a pre-order post Kickstarter store. We're working with um, Backer Kit on that part. 
Gotcha. I saw that also that latest uh, stretch goal, the the expanded bestiary. Like uh, everybody loves more monsters. I think monsters mm-hmm. are like one of the easiest things as the as the game master to really flesh out your game and add new stuff to it. So. Yeah. What kind of monsters are in, like, what What do we see uh, in Into the Motherlands? Um, well, so far we've seen the Haplock, which are all out of the, the deep, dark recesses of Dave's mind. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're they're a squid-like race, and, and cephalopods are frighteningly intelligent, which is where, yeah. where I think he was going with. Um, the others I don't actually know, because I'm on the weird... I'm on the show, so I don't want to yeah. spoil myself, but I'm also developing... So uh, I know that Eugenio has something cooked up for us and whatever we're going to find on this volcano. Uh, last night on the show, we ran into like, basically all, the best way I can describe it is a lava turtle <laughs> that spit out like very hot rocks. I don't know if they're eggs or shells or what they are, but it was a frightening creature. It was like, this is the devil Pokemon. We're going to die. <laughs> I just uh, don't like lava. Lava's scary. Lava was very scary. Um we had to climb rocks and my poor character still is healing from a broken leg even though she has like a very nice medically sound upgraded thing uh to keep her mobile and uh so yeah i thing is i don't want to spoil it slash i don't know if that is actually eugenio's plan for the season but we are going to meet a new enemy before the season is up Okay, super cool. Yeah, I can imagine. I didn't even think about that as somebody like somebody who's baking the game, but is also actively playing the game. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's that's cool. So then, this is the question we kind of talked about it beforehand. It's like that you've gotten it a ton, a ton. So right now, the stream uses Cortex. Okay, so I wanted to ask you two things here. So why'd you all settle on? cortex okay and then what can you tell us then about the what can you tell us then about what the plan is for the kick the final rules then for the game um well we went with cortex uh because of dave's connection with fandom and we realized with the time frame we had initially from twitch for the first season and initial development cycle is that if we had to sit down and re and write our own mechanics we wouldn't meet those deadlines. Yeah. And so um, we also wanted to do something that was kind of already built out and we were able to then be kind of a premiere show and also unintentional testing ground uh, for anything that worked out with us so we could kind of see what Cortex Prime already was and then tweak it to our needs because it is a very customizable system. And it's worked out because of the way that it's it's narrative driven, you do dice pools, and once you sit down with it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I know some people are like, oh no, dice pools, I'm so used to D20 system, ah. Um, but it's like, oh no, well I want to do X, Y, and Z, so this makes total sense. And then, you know, based on your challenges and, and what it is you're trying to do, it all makes total sense to me. But again, I've been playing this now since last October. Um, and in terms of the actual book that people will get, we are leaning toward Cortex, but nothing is uh, nothing is written in stone. Because yeah. you know, I'm sure you've seen this. When, when something is popular and doing well, suddenly a lot of people take interest in you. So we've gotten yes, a do. lot of offers. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's been interesting to see the people are like, so... Let me talk to you about your Kickstarter. I'm like, uh-huh, I see you. 
So we also want to do what is best for a good coherent game, not break up the feel of what people are used to seeing on the stream too much. And we don't want people to have to sit down and figure out yet another dice system, have to buy yet another set of specialized dice. Because how many times you've backed a Kickstarter, backed something else, and then you get it and you're like, I have to buy more dice, all these special symbols, and none of the billion of dice I've already got are going to work for it. I mean, the only thing about it right now with Cortex, if we stick with it for the final product, is no D20s. The highest yeah. die you'll use is a D12, which some people probably will struggle with, just because we're how many of us are so used to a D20 system. Um, but yeah, we're just trying to figure out what works best. And if we don't go with Cortex for some reason, or in general, or for whatever reason, then if we have to sit down and write our own mechanics, we write our own mechanics, not the end of yeah. the world. Yeah, I, I will say this too uh, about Cortex. I mean, Cortex is great for like cinematic feel, kind of like mm-hmm. you you said it's narrative driven. I mean, you think about all the all the other licensed games that have used Cortex. Like you've got the Firefly system, you've got the Smallville RPG. I don't know if you knew this. There's a Smallville RPG. I did not. Yeah, it's it's when you get a second, you should check out that Cortex system. It, the whole book is just clips from the tv show it's hilarious so it's but yeah it's it's just it's a cinematic feeling and i personally i like dice pool systems so i hope that in the in your all's final product that's what we that's what we get i just i'm really i'm really into them right now i i don't know why i just no they're they're fun i mean so i was trying to explain to a friend because i I have a friend that really was really like they want to get into rpgs but what they kept finding is that people wanted to do the dungeon crawl they wanted to do the the grindy let's go in a cave let's go in a dungeon and murder everything and there was no narration to it yeah and what i like about cortex and everything else um is that it it supports a narratively driven table it supports narrative narratively driven show and and you know everything doesn't have to be dice rolls because i'm not sure how much rpg that you get to play in your off time but you know how many of us have sat at a table where someone wants to make you roll for literally everything yeah just let us talk um and also just constantly dungeon crawling is frankly boring (laughs) i agree (laughs) so no i i am i'm sure that whether it's cortex but i mean i'm sure that the final product is sounds like it's going to be very narrative yes then it's still going to be so. narrative focused, but again, and I, and I said this on Twitter, I said this in other places. Um, we have no control over what you do when you get into when you get this book. If you decide I want to find somewhere on Vitoa that's super crunchy and run people through a dungeon and hunt Hapalock, go forth and do it. We can't stop you. And I would, I don't want to ever be that person that shows up if someone decides to stream it or someone. Uh, decides to kind of homebrew their own stuff of that's not what we meant because as as someone who creates and i'm sure you know this too with the podcast you, at a certain point you can't be precious about your creation you have to let it go yeah and uh you have to go here we made a thing we hope you like it and you know i just hope that if people get the book and they decide to do their own stream so that they enjoy it but I, I will have to keep myself from doing the, that's not how we meant you to do this. No, it's wrong. 
Because how many of us have seen authors and creators do that? And it's like, wow, you have no control over this once it's out in the wild. It's so awkward when you see it on social media, too. Just, just like, be quiet. Let people enjoy your stuff. And, I mean, I, I think if I ever see someone actually do an actual play show with this book and with the quick start guide, I probably will burst into tears. Yeah. Yeah, I so. can't imagine. I can't imagine as a creator to see your product be used that way. So yeah, super cool. So I have to ask you then is so we, you've got this stream, you've got the RPG. Can you like, what's the do you have? What's what's next for Into the Motherlands or in season two? But where do you see your all selves going? Um, what I hope and what I see is is hopefully more seasons either still funded by Twitch. Or if the Kickstarter does well, because, you know, to be clear, the Kickstarter is for the book. Yeah. And, and you know, any money that's left over, we'll see. But having done a Kickstarter, who knows if there'll be money left over. <laughs> um, you know, I love to do more seasons. I love, and I've said this online, and I've said it before, and, I, and I'm i sure somebody will be in their feelings. And, and I've said this to Matt and other friends at Critical. I want Motherlands to be as big as Critical. I want us to be long running. I want us to have eventually an animated series, something like that. But I also want people to see what we're doing and realize they can do it too. That, yeah, you know, cause so many people I've met, you know, with rivals and everything else, we get people go, I see people like me on screen. It means that I belong. I, I have a place where I can belong. And, you know, not like, oh, we're trying to be the arbiters and, and be the, look at us, we're the brown people rescuing Tabletop. But we want to show people that they belong. Because for so many years, I didn't play d and I didn't play RPGs because I just didn't feel like I had a place anymore. Even though I played, I'd been in a long-running campaign, I was the only person of color. And, you know, they're my friends, I adore them. But I was the only person of color in that group. And a lot of times I'm the only, I was the only person of color. And, you know, I go to Gen Con. I don't play games at Gen Con because, again, nine times out of ten, I may be the only brown person at that table. And I don't know these folks. And with the ways people act online and the ways that they act like, oh, well, why are you forcing your agenda? Why are you forcing politics into RPGs? It's like, but these are the same people that somehow think that wanting to have a slaver class in, in an RPG is fine. But then they wonder why I don't want to sit at a table and play games with them. So now it's it's real it's real life for you. Yeah, you know, and and yes, the idea is we're supposed to be able to play games and just enjoy them. But if I sit at a table and you say, well, if you say you're an elf, you're black, you have to be a drow. Why is that fun for me? Or if I'm a woman, then I have to be a healer or a cleric. This is not fun for me, you know. It rings true, and we see we see all the awesome work you're doing. So, absolutely, we hope that you can continue it. We hope that this this Kickstarter is like a that's like this is things are now things are now opening up. It's super it's super cool. Definitely, I'm loving it. Yeah. So, and um, you know, I, I I also want people to realize that they can just enjoy RPGs. No one gets to tell you. That there's not a place at the table for you. Because so many people, so many friends, unfortunately, like, I don't do RPGs because it's hostile. Or I get told, people like you don't play. I'm like, what do you mean people like me don't play? You're like, again, Mike and Cody Ponsmith, well, Mike Ponsmith 
created the Cyberpunk 2020 game. A black dude. His son created the Witcher RPG. There is a place for us. So I, I want people to see not just what we're creating, but shows like Rival, shows like Tris Albus, or Albus, um, and all the things we do outside of being on that show. Because doing the Motherland stream and, and making the game is not all all of us do. Look into the work other people are doing. You know, I'm on Black Dice Society. I'm on Rivals. We're creating a game. And, you know, you don't have to be someone who does like eight shows a week like me, Dave. But yeah. you there is a place for you. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it's, I think that's a perfect place to kind of, like, put a cap on our conversation. Definitely, you, everyone just needs to check out everything that, everything that you're doing. But what's the, what's the, where can people find you then on social media? I, I, this is such a, like, you're, you're, ev- you're everywhere. Like, I was like, you're even doing, a, you didn't even mention that like, you're even doing, a, you even help with a convention. So. Yes, I do too much. It's <laughs> what I do. So um, where's the good spot where people can find you then? Um, mainly Twitter, even though Twitter can sometimes be the devil. And mm-hmm. uh, all of my social handles are Cypher of Tear, except for coffee, because uh, someone got my coffee account and I had to close it down. Um, but C-Y-P-H-R-O-F-T-Y-R is uh, all of my social media handles. For Motherlands, it's Motherlands RPG on Twitter. Uh, if anyone has media inquiries or just wants to ask us questions after you hear this interview, it's contact at MotherlandsRPG.com. Um, Rivals is on our own Twitch channel, not the D&D channel. It is uh, twitch.tv backslash Rivals Waterdeep. And then Black Dice Society is another official Watson show, which is on D&D uh, Wizards on YouTube and on the D&D Twitch on Thursdays. So after we talk, I get ready to go prep for Black Dice Society. Nice. So before we, the last thing then, any last Kickstarter thing you want people to know before we close out? Um, I would love it. And this is purely selfish. And also it would probably freak me out. I would love it if we hit a half million or a million before we're done. Cause we still have 23 days left. It's a lot of time. And that 48 yep. hour last window boost, you know, yep. is possible. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely go check out into the motherlands. Tanya, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this product. I really wanted our listeners to hear about it. So it was great hearing it right from you. So that's, that's awesome. So as always, folks, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bezcar Tom. Yes, that's Mandalorian Metal Tom, I know. And then, as always, do not forget uh, the motto that we live by here. Uh, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. 
Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.